this past summer, we, our family spent a month, the month of July, in Wisconsin on a study leave. And every single Sunday morning of that month, Tim and I just woke up with this longing to be in worship. You know, that's not always the case when we go to the lake. Sometimes we're just at the lake. And, but this summer, every single Sunday, we found ourselves wandering into random churches in northern Wisconsin. And um, of course, it was not the same as being here with all of you in this place that we tre- treasure and cherish and love. Um, but every single week, I found the Spirit of God touching me deeply in the house of the Lord the house of belonging that God has made in the church. And you guys, these were not fancy churches. Um, <laughs> in fact, um, if they were being raided on their performance, um, they probably, in some cases, would not pass. <laughs> you know, um, we walked out of one church, and my son, who's 11, said, it kind of seemed like that guy was dead inside. <laughs> But nonetheless, um, (laughs) nonetheless, we, Tim and I, found ourselves just welling up with tears every single Sunday. And it was just that reminder of like, yeah, they didn't have fancy professional musicians. Yeah, you know, the the speakers were not, you know, I mean, it was just the setting, the whole thing. It was rather sparse, not many people. I mean, it's not about any of that. Every single week, I found myself being welled up. In fact, that, that one church where my son made that comment after we left, do you know what really touched me? Was um, midway through the service, they just like hit play on a CD player, you know, and played the song. And I just, like, it was like my heart broke wide open. Through that little song, the Spirit of God reached me came to me. Our hearts were broken open, and God spoke to us. And um, ever since I was a little girl, I have just, um, even though I have had seasons where I have been disillusioned by church, by the church, probably like you too, different seasons, um, ever since I was a little girl, I have just deep down sort of felt like, wow, there is nothing like a faith community when a faith community is working right. I've always kind of known somewhere deep down that, that there's, there's nothing, there's nowhere on earth like this place. You know, just from the standpoint of like, you've got the homeless and the famous and everybody in between. You've got the rich and you've got the poor and you have got strangers and friends standing along side one another in song, sometimes able to sing and sometimes not able to sing, but standing together on equal footing at the foot of the cross. And there's just no other group on earth whose ongoing purpose is to find and then be formed in this eternal current of God's love, like consistently, week in and week out, over and over again. There's this little uh, children's book called The All Better Book, I don't know if you have read this one, but this book is basically a book where little children are asked about big problems facing our world. And then the kids give their answer as to what would make it all better. And so here's a couple examples. (laughs) Uh, One example is, 
propose to kids like, okay, smoking is bad, but if you tell people to quit smoking, it just doesn't work. So what do you suggest? And they ask little kids this question. And um, one little girl says this. She says, well, um, you could go to a smoker's house and you could light up and you could start smoking and then you could die. (laughs) I bet that would do it. Another one, uh, this was Lily, age seven. They asked this you know, um, question, what do you do with people who break the law? And um, her answer was, make them do gymnastics for a month. <laughs> they asked, how, how do, you know, this big problem, how to repair the ozone layer? And Sarah, age eight, said, get some dirt and some seeds and plant flowers over the hole to make it look pretty for the aliens. (laughs) All better, all better. But then they asked this, the toughest problem perhaps of them all was posed. It goes like this. There are billions of people in the world and someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. What would you suggest? And these little kids come up with their answers. Claudia, age eight, said, well, people should find lonely people and ask them their name and address, and then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address, and then when you have an equal number, assign lonely people and non-lonely people together in the newspaper. (laughs) I was thinking, she will be awesome at her front desk in college, right, like as an art. She's like the next Anne Coughlin, right? (laughs) Connector. Such a good little connector, age seven. (laughs) Another kid said, you could make food that talks to you when you eat. (laughs) Someone else says, "Um, we could get people a pet or a husband or a wife. (laughs) Brian, age eight, said this, if people are lonely, Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. With billions of people in the world, someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? If you've been paying attention, you know loneliness is now epidemic. It's an epidemic. Here in the U.S., it is estimated that one out of two, that's half, of people feel lonely. The U.S. Surgeon General recently said that lacking connection can increase the risk for premature death to levels comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The physical consequences of poor connection on our bodies can be devastating Again, from that study, a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, a 50% increase in developing dementia for older adults. And it's not just the U.S. In the U.K. a few years ago, they actually assigned a new position called the Minister of Loneliness to the Cabinet of the United Kingdom. In Japan, there's actually a word for people dying alone. This is how common it has become. 
Japanese word is kodokushi, and it actually received a lot of attention a while back when a man died in his apartment and his body was not found for three years. The money, you know, for rent just kept being deducted from his bank account, and it wasn't until the money ran out that anyone realized that he had died. That sort of thing is common enough that it has a name with billions of people in the world. Someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. And you guys, somebody did. And his name is Jesus. And the place is the church. And the secret is love. I was listening to this NPR interview. Lulu Garcia Navarro was interviewing this pastor. And in that interview, they were talking about clergy crisis in America. And, and she, she just says to this pastor, she says, well, what's the big deal? Like, if a bunch of churches close, if a bunch of faith communities go under, like, what's the big deal? And this pastor says, you know, no matter what stripe, faith communities at like a baseline level provide an answer to loneliness. So less churches probably means over time more loneliness. You know, with billions of people in the world, somebody should figure out a system where no one is lonely. Somebody did. Jesus said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Notice Jesus didn't say, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you can convince others of your opinion. <laughs> or be the smartest person in the room. Or be the, the best at service, or the best at... No, it's, no, none of that. It's love. If you love one another, author Dallas Willard said it this way, the aim, the aim, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons. This is God's aim with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. It's like there is nothing like a faith community when a faith community is working right. With billions of people in the world, someone should figure out a system where no one's lonely, and somebody has. And it's called the church. And Jesus came to start a family, God's family. And it's a family where everybody is welcome, including your enemy. <laughs> And it's a place where nobody is perfect, not even the pastors, priests, and guides. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And it's a community, it's a place where anything is possible because the leader is this wild goose we, that we call the Holy Spirit. And the wild goose isn't showing up with smart business strategy. The wild goose is showing up and surprising us left and right and inviting us into places we never could have imagined we would be invited to go with, with billions of people in the world. Somebody ought to figure out a system where nobody is lonely. And somebody has, and it's God's family. You might 
have been pretty disappointed, like in your family of origin. How, how many people have, don't answer this, don't, an, let's not go, uh, no, rhetorical question. <laughs> that family though, your family of origin, your family of origin was never meant to be your ultimate family. God wants everybody to be a part of his family. God aches for and longs for and pines for everyone to be at home in his home. And this is why tribalism and racism and all the isms are so evil in the sight of the Lord. Because God longs for everybody to be at home in his home. God wants everyone from every nation, tribe, and tongue to be home in his home. Jesus died for that. And you guys, that's what we are. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be the church. We're not a museum for saints. We're more like a hospital for sinners. In other words, we're not a museum for saints to come and sort of masquerade all their best, like, you know, spiritual thoughts and knowledge and formation practices. No. We're like a hospital for sinners who sort of like stumble in every single week going like, oh man, I thought I was more than I am, right? We're a group of sinners who, who stumble in every single week and we say, whew, I am way more addicted than I realized, and I am numbing way more often than I thought, and my relationships are way more fractured than I want you to know, and the only thing I can say is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, and as I come and throw myself on the grace and mercy of God every single week, I'm lifted up. I'm lifted up in the love of Christ. I'm lifted up by like the wounded hands of a wounded healer who assures me of my pardon and gives me the confidence to walk out and try again and to come again the next week. We're not a museum for saints to like strut their stuff like perfectionists. We're a hospital for sinners. That is what the church is. a place to come and be restored and filled again and again and again with the power that does not make us arrogant. It makes us unafraid to say, yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm hurting too. Yeah, I'm broken too. There's nothing like the church when the church is working right in Platt Park, I got to see a few churches this summer, and I want you to know this place is super special. It's so special. It's so special to me. And we have a long way to go. We still have a long way to go in becoming the sort of all-inclusive, loving community that Jesus had in mind when he spread his arms of love and died on the cross. And here's the thing. It's, it's the kindness of God. It's the grace of God that beckons us deeper. As a community of faith, beckons us deeper to go deeper together. 
And I would just say, if you want to be a part, if you want to be a part of rolling back the tide of isolation and secularism and materialism and loneliness in our world, that's what we're doing here. We're being the church together. That's what we're doing here. And this fall, especially, I hope you will lean in around here if the Spirit leads you. We're being the church together. That's what we're doing. In fact, next week, we are starting, like Tim mentioned, a nine-week all-church book discussion on prayer. Some of you were around last year, and we did a, a similar sort of a thing. It's around Sky Jathani's book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? What if? What might that look like in your life? What might that look like in the life of this community of faith in this city, Denver, this city that is home to the gold rush? Like Denver is fiercely independent, fiercely self-sufficient. I mean, I know this isn't true of all of you, but I would venture to guess the majority of you did not move here for family and for relationships, right? We have this spirit in this city, the spirit of the gold rush, it's like in our veins. But you know what we're doing here at Platt Park? We're, le we're learning how to, together over time, we're learning how to lean into something different than that spirit of the gold rush. That spirit of, of independence and self-sufficiency and, and isolation and I got this and I will stake my own claim. We're learning to lean in together to an interdependency. That means like when one part of the body is hurting, we're all hurting. We're pushing back the tide to live independently and choosing to learn how to live interdependently. And if you want to push back loneliness in our world and isolation, not just in your own lives, but like as an epidemic in our world, if you want to move deeper into God's heart for you and God's heart for the world, this is just a great time to lean in. It's a, and when I say lean in, I mean, I'm basically just saying, like, this is a great time to be around, to get connected, to show up in worship and make it a priority, to hop in a group, to find some people, to practice these one another's with, to practice this idea of belonging in a community of faith. Uh, we, we named this series the House of Belonging. This is the last week of this series. Didn't that go quick? That went quick. That went really quick. And we have talked about, you know, belonging to God and belonging to yourself and belonging with others. And today I, I'm hoping to just hone in for a, a moment here right now on belonging to a local body. If it can't be this one, perhaps another one. But belonging to a local church, a local body. It's no accident that, that the scriptures refer to us as the body of Christ. That is what the church is. I want you to have that sense of belonging here. And in full disclosure, 
I must tell you that if you choose to belong to this church or any other church, you are quickly going to realize that like the most annoying, least um, desirable person will probably be here too. That is actually a part of how we are transformed in love. Last week, Tim was talking about all these instances in the New Testament, like over and over and over again, like a refrain, one another, one another, one another. It's almost like the one another passages are God's roadmap for relationships. Jesus was creating a family of what you might call one anotherness. And so the writers love to talk about this. You want to read these with me? Let's read these together. Be at peace with one another. Honor one another. Wash one another's feet. Speak truth to one another. Be devoted to one another. Carry one another's burdens. There's a significant amount of your spiritual formation that cannot happen apart from community. It just can't. Now, just practically speaking, every church kind of has to stumble into like, well, what is this going to look like? How is this going to happen? Because it primarily doesn't happen in this room for this hour. Eh, a little bit it does. Every church has to kind of figure out what that's going to look like. And the best way we have found around here is groups. It's not the only way. But it seems around here to kind of be our main way. Groups are like the place where we practice the one another's with each other. That's the place where we show up and we develop social safety and connection with others. That's a place where we practice attunement with each other. That's the place where we see people become kind of like family you know, celebrating the highs and the lows and everything in between, being witness to one another's lives, and in some cases, dying in one another's arms. These one another's, they can't be practiced alone. They cannot be practiced outside of relationships. So I guess I just want to encourage you to get in a group if it would be meaningful to you this fall, get in a group, get into community, get into relationship. And if you already are, or you are just a person who's like, I already have my people, this is my community, then maybe for you, it's just think about how the spirit of God may be calling you into the one another's on a deeper level with your community, with the family with the community that God's placed in your life. Galatians 6 says this, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. Here's the thing, burdens. Burdens come in a lot of different shapes. You've got physical burdens, relational burdens, spiritual burdens, and can I just say, spiritual burdens can be every bit as painful as physical burdens. And so many people around you right now are carrying burdens in their existence and they're carrying those burdens of being human all by themselves. 
And it's crushing people. It is crushing people. And this is why loneliness has become an epidemic. I read, I read a story about a woman who, um, she phoned a friend to, um, you know, just ask, like, how are you doing? And the woman said, oh, I'm tired. My head is splitting. My back is killing me. The house is a mess. I don't want to cook. The kids are driving me up the wall. And the lady was like, oh, just go lay down. I'm going to come over right now. I, I, will, I will make some food for your family. I will take care of your kids. I will tidy up your house. Why don't you just like take a minute to, to lie down and to rest? And, uh, and, then, and then she said, by the way, how's your husband Sam doing? And the lady said, Sam? My husband's name isn't Sam. And she realized she had called the wrong person. She, uh, and there was a long, awkward pause. And then the woman said, so are you not coming over? <laughs> See, what's changed in our world is not the burden of parenting or the burden of health or the burden of addiction or the burden of failure or the burden of loss. Those things have always been there. The thing that has changed is nobody's coming over. Nobody's coming over. We live in this amazing city, right? It's so incredible. Man, the opportunities financially, vocationally, recreationally, this is an incredible place. But if nobody's coming over, that's what's changed. And the Bible says, and the church should be the first place to say we're the people who carry one another's burdens. Okay, now, I have to, because of my own learning journey, do a little. This doesn't mean that you have to be crushed by taking responsibility for a bunch of other people. In fact, what's so interesting, if you read this whole section of Galatians, is just a couple sentences later, Paul goes right on to say this, just a few sentences later. Each should carry their own load. Wait a minute. Carry each other's burdens, each should carry his own load? Kind of sounds like Paul is contradicting himself but he's not. There's a number of writers who have written about these words, these two different words that Paul is using, burden and load. So load in verse 5, each should carry his own load. In our day, you could kind of like one person said, you could think of it like a backpack. Each should carry his own load is like, if this is something that you can carry, you should carry it. If it's doable, then, and you can do it, you should do it. If it's doable for that person and they can do it, they should do it. It's like healthy boundaries. Like, if your kids can tie their own shoes, they should tie their own shoes. Right? If, you're, if your kid can work and pay their own rent, they should work and pay their own rent. If you can work and pay your own rent, you should not look to mom and dad to pay, right? Okay, you get the idea. If you are able you should carry your own load. But the word that's used in verse 2, carry one another's burdens, burdens, 
that's a much heavier term. It's more like a boulder. Like actually you can't carry a boulder alone. You can't carry it by yourself. We can though carry it together and we are actually made to carry it together. And there is this crazy, I mean, I don't even fully understand that there is this, there is this incredible spiritual reality to this. And it is so often overlooked. I mean, I have so often overlooked this, but I've also experienced it. It's like this spiritual reality. It's very real and it's very true. When someone is carrying a heavy burden, like a boulder, like deep shame, like depression, like a secret they don't want anybody to know. Maybe it's the heavy burden of anger or some unresolved thing or, or the heavy burden of a diagnosis or, or like what's happening with their children or like what's happening with their aging parents. Here is the incredible spiritual reality that I can't explain but is absolutely true. When they know that you know and when they know that you care, when they are in your presence and they feel safe and seen and secure, what happens amazingly is a little bit of the burden, it, it comes to you and their load is a little lighter. It just, I mean, it's, it's like you don't even have to solve anything. You just have to have seen really seen and shown that you care. And, and amaz the amazing spiritual reality is, is it does actually get lifted a little bit. We are meant to bear each other's burdens. We together can carry what nobody can carry alone. And if we want to grow in belonging, the house of belonging, and we'll just close with this, we have to grow in two things, vulnerability and empathy. Vulnerability is allowing others to see you as you actually are. I've been, thank you, Carol, I've been reading uh, Anne Lamott's most recent book, Fabulous, and she talks about this little bit that a comedian does where the comedian says, when you meet me, you're actually meeting my bodyguard. That's good. That's real, do, do you know what, like, you're meeting me as confident. That's what my bodyguard wants you to think. I'm actually insecure. You're meeting me as, oh, so accepting, but actually I'm rather judgmental, right? You're meeting my bodyguard when you meet me. You're... So number one, if we're going to grow in the house of belonging, vulnerability, allowing, one, like, allowing people to see you as you actually are, to allow others to see what you are carrying, and then you will have to learn to share your burdens with others. That's vulnerability, stepping out of hiding. The second, though, is empathy, and that's are each growing in seeing and supporting others well in a self-absorbed world. It's allowing others to have burdens that maybe you don't understand, but it's okay, you don't have to understand it. What's needed is I see you and I care. That's what's needed. It's becoming the kind of person who sees and cares even when you don't understand, even when you don't really get it. There's, there's some enemies to empathy, of course, things like indifference, impatience, insecurity. 
right? Indifference is like, I see that you're, pain, you're in pain, but like, I don't really get it. Like, I'm kind of indifferent because I'm so self-absorbed right now. I can't really, I don't have the time. Impatience is like, suck it up, buttercup. There's a lot of, you know, more hurting people in the world. Like, let's get going. Let's fix this. And insecurity is just, it's just that reality that like when someone shares with you that they are hurting, that does create some anxiety or dissonance in you. There's an insecurity that comes when someone says, I am hurting. And often what happens is it stops my ability to see them anymore because I've become consumed with what did I do or what I'm comparing myself to them and what would I do and that's... And I have become insecure, and I can no longer see. I can no longer show that I care. Here's the thing. Do you know how, you're, do you, know how you know if you are growing in empathy, which is needed for belonging, true belonging? Here's how you know. People in distress come to you for comfort. They come to you for comfort. And when they do, you pray Oh, Jesus, please enlarge my heart and my ability to care. Oh, Jesus, please enlarge my capacity to suffer well with others, to carry one another's burdens. This, This is what Jesus did, right? He entered the pain, the isolation, the alienation, and the separation of humanity in his body on the cross. He entered those things, and he suffered with us. He wasn't indifferent. He wasn't impatient. He wasn't insecure. And in Jesus, we find our home again. It's to his table we come right now. To his body, we come to be nourished and sustained and filled with the sort of love and resurrection power that enables us to show up in vulnerability. That's hard. And empathy, carrying one another's burdens. I mean, just imagine a world. Imagine a world where, like, people in the community who were hurting came running to the church because they were like, I know I won't be alone. Imagine a world where, like, every single child grew up with, like, a plus one person in their life, you know, somebody who knew their name other than their parents, who cared about, you started school this week, how's that going? What's your teacher's name? With billions of people in the world, somebody should figure out a system where nobody's lonely, and somebody has, and it's called the church. So may we lean in together to this house of belonging that Jesus founded and is still forming right here. Because you guys, there is no house. There is no house. There is no house like the house of belonging. Let's pray together. God, you are our home. Would you bring us home to you again right now? God, we've become estranged from ourselves. Would you bring us home to ourselves now? God, we've become alienated from one another. Would you bring us back home to one another now? 
God, we have lost our bond with your church. Graft us into your body once again now. And may the spirit of your resurrected body, Jesus, that body that still bears the wounds and scars of crucifixion, may that spirit be our roadmap as we practice the one another's you've called us to. Oh, make us more like you, God. Make this house more like your home. Make this church more like the church that you have in mind. Oh, and help us get out of your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.